Welcome back to the Movie Bible Podcast. This week, you've got all three of us, myself, Nick, and Brennan, as we're talking about uh, Tenet being moved back once more. Uh, some Oscars news about the Oscars being pushed back, as well as the Netflix Top 10, some new releases, and what we've been watching lately. Uh, so the box office is still fairly non-existent. Regal has unveiled kind of their lineup for the next couple weeks, um, and then AMC, I'm sure, will do the same. And drive-in theaters are, are coming back a little bit. Uh, but right now, it's still pretty much nothing going on at the box office, uh, which has led the Oscars to push back the ceremony by eight weeks. Um, and they've already extended kind of the rules and timeline for movies that can enter into the Oscars. Um, so there's definitely been a big Academy push to try and get more movies in. Um, I don't think the Oscars will have as big of a problem as studios that can't make bank on their summer blockbusters will just because most of the Oscar movies, you know, wouldn't have released during this time of the year anyways. Um, but I could be wrong. What do you guys think about the, the pushback? I think it's smart. I think, uh, it's something that I was, I was definitely feeling that they like they would do as time keeps progressing and movies keep getting pushed back. I think they're probably nervous, um, that you see all these big blockbusters now moving into uh, into the fall, they they probably want to find a little bit more wiggle room for some of their movies. Um, so they've moved now from February 28th to April 25th, and the eligibility, which usually is December 31 every year, is now February 28th. Um, and then also more news the other day: the Golden Globes got moved, and they are now taking the Oscars old spot on uh, February 28th. So there's kind of a switch up uh, everywhere. Yeah, as much as I was kind of rooting for Bad Boys for Life to be my best picture winner, um, I kind of figured this was going to happen at some point, you know, because it, it just makes sense in the Oscars. They're, I mean, it's been widely talked about, and we've talked about it so many times here, where their, their, their numbers have been down for so long, and their marketing, but like the marketing budgets that ABC is willing to put behind them has been going down as well. So, like, they're trying to do whatever they can just to, like, build their audience. Um, so this does make a lot of sense. Um, I guess... <laughs> like the new news with all of this is just that like the U.S. hit their all-time high in coronavirus new cases in, like the past two days or something like that. So, I mean, like it feels like we're already kind of hitting that second wave, or maybe like this we're just being stupid and the second wave still is yet to come. I mean, I feel like with all of this, this talk, it's like the caveat. It's like we have no idea what's going to happen in a month. Um, but I feel like yeah, this makes logical sense. You know, like it, you want to have your room for all your like legitimately Oscar-y movies to come out so that like first cow doesn't win and everyone gets mad, even though the movie's probably pretty great, but um, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's probably a strong move because I mean, kind of like we're seeing with tenant, you know, they were pretty firm on tenants coming out July 17th. Um, and obviously that's not happening anymore. We've seen it be pushed back twice <laughs> within the past couple of weeks. Um, and I think we're probably going to see more pushback. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if some of these August releases get pushed back into September. Um, there's a good chance that the new mutants could be rescheduled for like the millionth time. Uh, not that really is going to contend for the Oscars, but uh, these smaller movies are going to be pushed back, presumably before something like Tenet or Mulan will get pushed back again. Yeah, so we're looking at um, Tenet now, obviously moving back to the August 12th from its previous July 31, and then prior to that, July 17. Tenet's really just kind of holding the line. Like, they are obviously planning to be the the, the first movie 
opening when when everything reopens up. So they're trying to hold that line on August 12th. I'm wondering, though, if theaters are, are just going to really get, get frustrated to the point where they feel like they have to open. Because by August, it'll be about half a year that theaters um, can't really uh, open. And that that's kind of a crazy thing. Now, I feel like a lot of areas of the states probably are at a point where they can potentially open theaters. But there are also a ton of areas, more populated areas, that obviously are uh, far away from that point. It's really strange because I feel like a lot of the theater reopening was predicated on Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan like being really adamant on they were re- releasing on July 17th. And then after Regal and AMC like releases their plan, they're like, nah, psych, we're going to we're going to push back to August. So it's kind of like a weird situation for them. Like like you said, like you said, like Tenet is going to be the bi- is trying to be like the big welcome back to movies, at least here in the U.S. But like. Now that it's moved back, like we do have other movies like slated ahead of it. Like, I mean, we'll see what what the deal is with Milan. Like, I don't really know there, but like Saint Maud, the new A twenty four movie that's apparently like their big horror movie that they release every year, um, kind of slid slid into that tenant date right after it moved. So like, I feel like I mean, there's no denying that like Tenet's just like a bigger, the way bigger deal than Saint Maud is, even though like I'm sure a lot of the A twenty four merch merch pros would say something different. Um, I just I feel like that possibility of it like being like this big welcome back to movies is kind of waning by the moment. And I feel like I don't know how you guys be feel feel about this, but I'd, I'd rather just get pushed back to sometime next year and we just kind of deal with it then rather than have this kind of like in limbo situation for as long as we have it, have been in. Yeah, I'm actually a little bit excited that it got pushed back because that means we have an extra month of old stuff being brought back to the theater. Um, so. I mean, for me, I'm excited to see stuff like Jurassic Park and mainly Jurassic Park um, and some <laughs> other more classic movies come back to the big screen. Um, Colin, so you're in an area where there are some theaters open, right? Uh, yeah, so there's a drive-in theater that's open and there's a little mom-and-pop theater that's open that's like a little five-screen. Um, that Because basically where I live, uh, we had a plan to reopen and then our county commission was like, you know what? We don't need a plan. Everybody come back. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's kind of odd because as you're saying, you'd like to move it, Nick, to next year. You'd like to see that happen. And I, I think that's probably, especially for the United States, I think that's a good move. But it just it's tough because uh, a lot of countries are probably getting close to being able to do that potentially by that August 12th date. But they need that U.S. market. Um, they need the uh, Asian market. They need these big markets to be prepared. Like I know where I'm at, cases keep going down by the day. Um, uh, so, some parts of the country haven't even reported cases uh, within the last week. So we're, we're starting to to really look good around my area. Um, but it's they really need that U.S. market. Yeah, I guess I'm just so tired of like this like back and forth between the theater and theaters and Warner Brothers with just like all these different press releases and like tenant like declaring like coming to theaters and its trailer and everything like that which is i mean it's kind of funny for the memes because we can talk about like all of like the time travel of like the movie itself or whatever it is that they're calling it in the movie and then like the the release date changing which is really funny um but yeah like in terms of me like i live in the greater washington dc area which is still not great i i visited a friend in her apartment complex (laughs) the other day and I walked outside in kind of like a busier neighborhood in the area. And there was just like a line of 50 people waiting at bars. And like there was just like people just no masks anywhere. And I was like, wow, this is 
this is why I hate people my age. <laughs> like, it's like the worst thing. Like, I don't really, I don't see any of this behavior changing anytime soon. So I'm just kind of worried that like, I don't know, we aren't, we aren't going to see any like major improvement anytime soon for even these August releases to work out. Yeah, I think domestically is going to be the big issue uh, because like Corona's not really going to slow down stateside uh, just because of that kind of management. But at the same time, like AMC's been pretty clear that if they don't open up, you know, within the next couple of weeks, they're going under. Um, so it's a, it's a really difficult situation for the theaters. Yeah, I get it for them. Like it make it like it just makes sense. Like right, you have to run your business, and like we, Brennan and I discussed this where it's just like you. That's kind of like the, the issue at the center of all this for so many people. It's like they want to be safe, but then they also have to earn a living, and it's. It's really tough, and I don't think there's one correct answer for that. But um, I guess my issue is just more with Tenet itself, and there's just so many annoying people on film Twitter talking about it that I just that I just get sucked into a Christopher Nolan black hole, and it's it's really annoying to me. But I don't know. Like I get it. If if you're a theater chain, you want to try to reopen because like you have thousands upon thousands of people who work for you, and like you might go into bankruptcy. Like yeah, like I understand all of that, and I think it's. It's really, really hard, and I think all this changes on a weekly basis for most people. Yeah, and I think people are kind of missing the point that there was actually this weekend the best platform to watch a Nolan movie on uh, with the Fortnite release of Batman Begins, The Prestige, <laughs> and Inception. And I just I can't think of a better way to watch a Nolan movie than on a screen, on your TV screen, while other people are shooting cartoon bullets at you. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, like how it looks. I saw some some interface uh, screenshots of how it looked, and it's funny because you can't really move. Like you're apparently your character is kind of stuck in a place. You can jump up and down, but you're really just stuck there. But you're pretty much looking at a billboard within the game, and it's playing <laughs> the, it's playing the movie. I was thinking that you could maybe have a full screen mode, like that would make more sense. Um, but it's kind of just like you're there just sitting and, and looking up at a billboard that's playing one of these films. And like it, it, it only covers, I'd say, about 35 percent, 40 percent of the screen. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's odd, but they're trying out different things. Yeah. Considering how much like of a like a stickler Nolan is for like 70 millimeter and IMAX. I wonder how pissed off he was when he learned about what all of this is and what they're doing with this movie. I just think that. Imagining that meeting in my head is kind of hilarious, considering like he's like the one guy left who's like, no, we have to shoot on film, and you will all see my movie in IMAX. <laughs> I feel like Warner Brothers got kind of pissed that he kept standing so firm and pushing so hard for Tenet to get released in July that he'd be like, you know what? We're going to get him back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a screenshot of it now, and this is – I don't understand why you'd want to watch a movie this way. I mean, like this guy's character is blocking the screen he's trying to watch. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I got some numbers here, though. I think they said um, uh, there there are several million people that at least tuned in. So, I mean, it's it's not – it's not little like people did want to, I guess, see, see what happened. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. I just think that's so funny. I just can't get over Nolan. Just like, cause he probably didn't know what, like what this is at all. Like they, they were like, Oh yeah, we want to show like your movie on this platform. He's like, yeah, sure. Fine. <laughs> and he realized what it was. He was like, Oh my God, I hate everyone at Warner brothers now. <laughs> I figured it'd be something like this though, because they, they uh, premiered the tenant 
the second tenant trailer on Fortnite, and I uh, I, I have it, so I booted it up, and I went on to to look at it just just out of curiosity, and uh, it, it it was that same thing, like just on the billboard. So I'm like, uh, so they'll probably they'll probably do the movie like that too, and then they did. Yeah, I just <laughs> I don't really understand the appeal, um, but. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm sure he was pissed off. Um, I would like to see them try to do this to someone like Tarantino, uh, just to, to <laughs> see the chaos that <laughs> ensues from that. <laughs> but yeah, that is uh, pretty much Tenet, and Oscars getting pushed back a little bit. I'm sure in the coming weeks we'll talk about even more things being pushed back, because it's just kind of the state of the world right now. Uh, but fortunately, there is one service that refuses to push anything back and just releases more content than physically possible, and that is Netflix. Uh, so we're going to crack down their top ten a little bit. Uh, so number, the number one spot <laughs> in the number <laughs> one spot, they had Eurovision, uh, which is a Will Ferrell movie, which is a Netflix original, followed by Athlete A. 365 days at the number three spot the nut job at number four feel the beat number five gaspar knows love number six followed by the lost bullet baby mama in at number eight despicable me back in the top 10 at number nine and dark skies in at number 10 um so again it's kind of netflix originals and then kids movies which is what their top 10 just kind of continues to be um, and then an original at the number one spot. This is the Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams movie, which I've seen a lot of praise for her on Twitter um, just coming out of this movie. Uh, I have not seen it myself. Yeah, she's really good in this movie. Um, I feel like after Game Night, we all realized that Rachel McAdams is like a hilarious act- actress and she should be like in every comedy. I mean, she was in other comedies earlier in her career, but I feel like that really like reminded us all again because she was on that true detector for a while and she was trying other things but i feel like game night was like a huge movie in that way but she's really good in that movie and in this movie and dan stevens is also really terrific as well he plays like he's supposed to be the antagonist of this movie he's like the the russian singer um, but he's really not like that bad it's kind of weird how the movie plays it and the movie doesn't really have like an antagonist it's just kind of like will ferrell doing like his like man boy kind of like stuff again um, but yeah, I, the entire time I was watching this movie, I was just wondering like why it exists and I couldn't really think of an answer by the time this movie was over. And that was a, quite a long time cause this movie's over two hours. Um, it's just, it's PG 13, which isn't a detriment in and of itself, but I feel like ours when Will Ferrell really gets to let loose and go nuts. And I feel like he's always on a leash in this movie. And I feel like he is weirdly like one of the weak, weak, weakest links of this movie like he doesn't really do much of note um Rachel McAdams and Dan Stevens do what they can but uh it's a very strange very high concept idea for a movie um I don't really I can't say I really knew that Eurovision was a thing until this movie came out so maybe it um, works better for audiences abroad but um I don't really know it's just a very strange thing that Netflix brought into this world yeah, um, I've, I've heard it. it's pretty odd, uh, which, I mean, it, with Netflix at this point, that should be kind of expected. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably try and check it out sometime soon. I feel like the joke, like, there's like a recurring bit in a lot of, like, 
like recent Will Ferrell movies where like the movie itself is the joke. And I feel like that's kind of what he's doing here. Cause like, I feel like the whole thing is like, isn't this hilarious that we made a movie about the Eurovision song contest? Cause like the movie itself was like just kind of whatever, but I feel like he's sort of just like, I, this is so funny that I got to write this script for this movie and someone paid me like $50 million to go make it. I don't know. I feel like that's like, I feel like that's the, what I feel like that's his MO for most of his things now. I don't know if I can watch another movie where he pulls off that shtick. I don't know. It seems like it's, 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 it's old, but I mean, I, I like the guy, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I'm a big Will Ferrell stand. Like I even like some of his weirder, like not good movies. Like I think night at the Roxbury is incredibly stupid, but also like pretty funny. And that movie is like widely panned by like basically everyone except me. <laughs> so I like a lot of his movies, but um, yeah, this one's just, it's not like, it's not, I can't really say there's anything terrible about it. It's just sort of there. Like if we're going by letterbox official scoring here, like it's like a, it's a two and a half out of five. Like it doesn't really do anything to distinguish itself, which is weird because it's a movie about the Eurovision song contest, but it also doesn't do anything that'll like really just make you mad. It's just sort of there. It's inoffensive, bland. feels like they could have used like a, someone to like punch up the script a little bit because all the gags in it aren't particularly inventive, but I don't know. It seems like other people are liking it a lot, way way more than I do. So what do I know? I don't think I could watch it and not just be fixated on Will Ferrell's wig in this movie. <laughs> I'm just like looking at the screenshots of it right now. I'm like I couldn't pay attention to literally anything else in this movie. <laughs> There's so for the first like five minutes, I was doing the same thing where I was laughing really hard at the wig. And there's a really, the probably my favorite joke of the entire movie is like there's a fake music video at the beginning that really makes you laugh. And you'll, it's in the trailer too, where they're like playing like the keyboard on like the, on like right near the like the like the waves and everything. It's really really funny in the movie. Um, but after that, it just kind of like, like it's like I said, I feel like the the movie itself is the joke, and they don't really. He doesn't do quite enough to like go past it. It gets a little tiring after a little bit. But yeah, the wig is hilarious, just as a meme. <laughs> he's, he's had some interesting hair over the years. He really has. Yeah, I, I feel wonder like. If... Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like his his long blonde wig has popped up a couple times. Like he definitely had one in, or he definitely had the wig in Blades of Glory. Uh, but I feel like this isn't too new to him. Yeah, I feel like all the time with him, it's just like, what can I do that I think is really funny? Like, so it'll be like, I always go back to like SNL when he was like, there's that one skit where he just comes in like wearing the American flag, like <laughs> G, G string, like thong and like stuff like that. Like he just loves like these sight gags. And for like five minutes, it works pretty well in this movie. Then after that, it's like, oh, yeah, he's he's in a wig. Rachel McAdams is there too. <laughs> Let's get to the end of this movie. Then Dan Stevens shows up and is pretty funny at, at the beginning. And then his shtick is kind of the same. Um, so yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like, it's, I feel like there's a lot, there's a strain of Netflix movies where they make, since they have like such deep pockets, they let these crazy projects get made and they're just so weird. And like, you can't imagine them existing anywhere else except on Netflix. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like they're getting, they're still getting kind of that attention bump since most, I mean, there aren't new movies coming out and now, yeah, some theaters and drive-ins are opening, but I mean, Netflix is still just cranking out crazy amounts of content at a time when really nobody else is. Yeah. And I feel like Adam's, I feel like Will Ferrell is kind of in that Adam Sandler role now where everyone knows him 
And if he's coming out with a movie, like, regardless of, like, how bad it is or not, like, people are going to watch it. Like, even, like, The House and, like, all these other, like, recent Will Ferrell movies, like, they, they've done pretty well on VOD after the fact, even if they haven't done well at, in the theaters. So he's still a big draw, so it makes a lot of sense for Netflix to work with him. It's a, it's a good move for Netflix, for sure. Yeah. So that is Will Ferrell. Um, but then, yeah, the Netflix top 10, I don't think was as predictable as it was, you know, in the past couple of weeks where we had some bigger, older hits like Clueless and Twister and whatnot. Um, it is interesting to see Despicable Me climbing back. <laughs> it's pretty much been in the top 10 ever since quarantine started. And I think there was like one week where it wasn't and I was just shocked, but it, it's here to stay. But uh, yeah, I I caught up with uh, 365 days finally because it's it's that's also been like despicable of me has been on here for forever. But I feel like ever since 365 days came out on here, it's been like always like that. It was like the number one movie like for a couple weeks. Like it's always been at the top. And I finally watched it, and I th- I think this movie destroyed my brain. I think it, I actually exploded when I watched this movie because it is. Is like literally one of the most insane things I've ever watched, uh, and, and I know there's there's a lot of hyperbole going around about this movie, and I think all of it's kind of accurate. And it's weirdly this is like the one time that this like all this is true about a movie. So um, basically, this is a Polish movie, which is weird that it like it popped off like this. But uh, so it's it's basically Fifty Shades of Grey on just mounds of cocaine. Um, so all of the crazy like awful relationship dynamics that we all like make fun of like 365 is that and then like 10 times that um so the i'll run through the the synopsis and you'll quickly understand how insane this movie is but so basically this girl it's her birthday and she's on like she's on a trip somewhere exotic it looks nice i'm sure the the hotel paid them a lot of money to shoot there um but then there's this mob boss who is played by, I think this guy's name is Michelle, Michelle, Michelle Marone. I don't know his name. He's a singer too. And he's a beefcake that they put in this movie. Um, he's this, he's this mob boss who just like, he's ruthless and he like kills people and he kidnaps this girl. And he's like, you have 365 days to fall in love with me uh, or else if not, I'll let you go. And then that's the movie. <laughs> so he kidnaps this person <laughs> And then she falls in love with him. And it's the most insane thing ever. <laughs> like she he's like, he's like, I will not touch you unless you tell me to. Like he's not gonna like rape her or anything like that. And like she talks out a turn once and he like grabs her by the throat and is like, oh my god, like what is wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Like you're an insane person. Um, and then there's like there's been a lot of talk about the sex of this movie. Um, and there's a lot of sex in this movie. There's like a probably like a five to ten minute um just montage of them having sex on a boat and it's just like like every spot imaginable on the on the boat they're doing it um so <laughs> and they're like like she'll yell at him like why did you kidnap me and then like five seconds later they'll just start boning again and then like they'll he'll yell at her and like she'll be like i love you and then she's pregnant and then she's like mad and she wants to leave him and then like a second later she puts a wedding dress on and she's like no just kidding i actually love him again um, <laughs> like it's, this movie, this movie exploded my brain. I, I can't wrap my head around it. It's bizarre. I've lost a lot of faith in humanity, uh, just, just by, uh, how popular this movie has become, because I think it, it hit number one in like 15 countries for Netflix top tens. And, 
it's 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 all over um TikTok and people are obsessing over the guy and they're uh, it it it's a mess and it's just so sad. It's I there's a weird strain of people on TikTok and Twitter who are like like unabashedly like unironically they're like I think this movie's great and I never want to talk to those people ever in my life because I'm terrified <laughs> of those people. <laughs> so I guess uh, no, you're right. It's 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 a mess. It's crazy. We have to stay away from those people. Um, but <laughs> but but Forbes has been doing something since the Netflix top ten started, and they're kind of doing a, a points based system since the top ten started, and it's pretty much based off uh, how many days a movie is in the Netflix top ten and where they position, and they get a certain amount of points based off each. And it's it's uh, and they've done it since the start. Um, and as expected, Despicable Me is number two. Uh, Angry Birds movie is number one. Um, but the 365 Days has entered the top ten on this Forbes list, and it's number eight. So it's oh getting God. a lot of watches. It's it's getting a lot of watches. It's oh my gosh. I mean, there's a lot of meme potential in this movie. There's some really funny uh, line readings and facial reactions. And the the main guy, like he is just such an insane person. That's like some of his like violent outbursts are like really funny. Um, but yeah, this movie is insane. Like I would not like consume this movie at all anyway, except like watching like five second clips. Cause you'll, you'll get the gist of it in there. And this movie's like, it's like two hours of that. Um, so, uh, this is a, I, I don't quite know what to make of this movie, even though I've said a lot of things about it. <laughs> like, it's just so insane. Like the entire time my mouth was dropped. I was like, what the hell is this? Um, so apparently I have heard rumors where this is the first part of a trilogy. So mm-hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait for 366 days to come out next year or whatever, whatever it's going to be. Uh, I don't know. I'm I this movie is it's it's something, man. <laughs> it's really, really something. Um, it, it hurt me so much. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if this is something I'll ever watch. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Just give my warning, this. sir. On that story alone. <laughs> oh my god, uh, this movie. But yeah, that's <laughs> for the past week, and I'm sure that Tommy continue. off over here. I'm hurting. <laughs> I'm sure it'll continue to be just as insane and chaotic as Netflix always is within the coming weeks. Um, but we've all been watching a little bit of everything uh, over the past week. Uh, so, Brennan, you want to go ahead and, and talk about some of what you've been watching recently? Yeah, so I had a little bit of a busier week than usual, so I didn't get to, around to watching a ton of quality stuff. But I checked out um, Derek uh, Sign Francis' Blue Valentine starring uh, Ryan Gosling and uh, Michelle Williams. I think it came out in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. This is a very, very good movie. Um, very indie uh um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I, I was talking about this before we jumped on, but it's kind of like a more raw marriage story type film, um, where obviously it's about two people and they're kind of going through a rough patch in, in their lives. And they're definitely thinking about getting a divorce at some point. And I don't, I don't recall if marriage story did this, but did they ever have flashbacks to a more happier time in marriage story? No. If I remember correctly, they started off with a little bit of that, but it was like, it wasn't a big part of the movie at all. Okay, so, um, yeah, I guess in that respect, this movie is definitely a little different because about half the movie is more of a flashback to um, kind of when they met and the start of their relationship, and then the other half is is kind of in the now and in kind of the rough patch. But the movie is is definitely very uh, raw in the respect that 
some of the angles of, of the camera right in the face of the actors and just the way they're they're going. I mean, Ryan Gosling is fantastic in this. So is Michelle Williams. I think she got an Oscar nomination for this film, but uh, it's a, it's a beautiful movie. Um, but but there are some scenes where where it's not. It, they're obviously acting and it's a movie, but you you do feel like this is this is kind of a realistic take on the situation. It, it's a great movie. I would definitely recommend it. Definitely um, upsetting though. So don't watch it if you're already upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for Derek C. and Francis next movie. Cause I feel like he hasn't made one in like a while. Like the last one was that movie he made with Fastbender and Alicia Vikander. It was like the light between oceans. I think it was called. Um, but like that was like what 2015 2016 like i feel like he i'm waiting for like the next movie to come from him cuz i really like a lot of his stuff yeah he did um the place beyond the pines with uh, ryan gosling as well um so he's he's a solid director and he shows it off for sure in this film yeah and i uh i haven't really been watching cinema at all this week <laughs> um kind of the same as you were i've been kind of busy uh but i did watch the 1978 version of the hobbit and that was just a bizarre hour and 15 minutes. Um, just like it's, so it was made by what uh, later became Studio Ghibli, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. And it, like the animation looks pretty cheap. And it's like set to this rustic, like 70s Arlo Guthrie sounding uh, soundtrack that'll just like pop in and sing some of the songs that Tolkien wrote in the book, as well as a few originals. Um, and then for some reason, every villain kind of looks like a cat, except for Gollum, who looks like the main dinosaur from the land before time, uh, which I don't understand at all because it's like they have the exact same face. Um, and then Smaug is a dragon uh, who, for some reason, looks like a cat in this movie. Uh, <laughs> so it's just it's very bizarre. Uh, the character design for Bilbo was just kind of horrifying. Um, like it was just a trip. And then I decided to watch the first Hobbit movie because uh, I just finished reading the novel this week. And I don't know if I've ever seen this one. I know I saw two and three, but I don't remember if I saw this one. And honestly, it was painful to look at. Uh, it's just so oversaturated every time they go outside in the movie. Like every time there's a source of light on screen, you're just blinded by how bright, like how unnaturally bright everybody's faces how unnaturally bright the background is and i just i understand that peter jackson didn't really want to do the hobbit movies and i'm curious to see like how much he actually cared putting it together because it just looks it's just so visibly below the quality of everything else he's done not taking into account kind of the issues with you know writing and the the characters themselves um, is this a film or is it kind of the situation where he didn't want someone else to do it? So he did it. Yeah, it was one of those things where well, a he got a bunch of money thrown at him. Um, but yeah, it was also like he didn't want somebody else to kind of walk over the legacy of of the first three movies that he'd done. And I believe the bigger issue was that he wanted to do The Hobbit, but he didn't want to do three The Hobbits, which you know, after the Harry Potter movies were like, hey, we can make one book into two movies uh, with the Deathly Hallows. There's kind of that phase where everybody was like, OK, how can we split up, mm -hmm. you know, the final chapter? Like uh, the Divergent series that never finished tried to do that. Uh, the Hunger Games did that. Like everybody was doing that. And so that was when Warner Brothers was like, let's take 
what is the smallest and most simplified plot of Tolkien's books and make it into three three-hour movies. And I think that's what he was more upset with because there's really not enough material there to stretch over nine movies. Yeah, I think you're uh, over well, nine hours of movie. Yeah, I think I think Guillermo del, del Toro was working on the project, then he left because of creative differences, and I think that was a lot of kind of the same stuff where he's like, I don't want to really like make this three movies because it, it never needs to be. Um, I feel like everyone like everyone's lasting memory of those movies are like the high frame rate sucks and the movies look just are ugly to look at and they're also just way too long i think that's all we remember of those movies it's really interesting but um i haven't seen it but i know out there somewhere on the internet on the interwebs there's a like a someone did like a fan edit of all three movies and they cut it down to one movie itself and i would really like to watch that and see how it plays because yeah there's just there's just like so much fat in these movies and like there's like the evangeline lily like love like tro- triangle romance whatever it is like that they throw in there just because because they need to pad out some extra time like yeah i i don't really remember much of these movies at all except that i just remember benedict cumberbatch's behind the scenes smog work which is still like one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life <laughs> uh, i don't i don't actually mind this trilogy I, I don't think it's bad but i don't think it's great either and it's just it's it's hard when you're comparing it to the original uh, lord of the rings and and just how um incredible that was and just how acclaimed those three films have been so i mean it it's definitely like even if these movies were 80 percent as good as those that's still a significant step down from being some of the greatest films of all time arguably i feel like a lot of his career has been that though i mean i know i'm a big fan of obviously his king kong remake and that's a movie too that studios were trying to make for a while and he wanted to do but then he got the lord of the rings opportunity and the studio said okay we'll find someone else and he said no please hold on to it i don't want anyone else making that so i i, I feel like that's that's something that that he he's he's definitely used to yeah and i think a lot of the issue too with these movies were because i think because when he jumped on to the to work on it and then and it was like New Line and Warner Brothers, like they already had like the date set and they were like, we're not deviating from this date. Like, sorry, like you have to make this. So that's why there's a lot more like green screen in these movies, too. And it just like it's especially like when you compare it to like how timeless the the, the original Lord of the Rings movies look like they just look so good. And they're always going to look great because they're all so practical and tactile. Um, it's just yeah, it's just gross looking to see all of like the like like the third one. You have like the massive armies of all cgi and it's like oh my gosh it's such an eyesore yeah and the thing is like the biggest issue is like the hobbit is a much more inferior book compared to the original three and even like tolkien himself after he wrote the lord of the rings was like i wish i could rewrite this book because i didn't have everything together like i do now and so i do like appreciate some of the stuff that jackson is trying to do with it like adding a little more depth to the dwarves which are still pretty replaceable. Like there's only two that I can remember their names and that actually contribute to anything. Um, But I appreciate that they're like trying to make a little more in that direction. Um, But this movie also like the first one in particular just really wants to be the fellowship of the ring over again. And it's like 20 minutes into the movie before you actually meet uh, Martin Freeman's Bilbo because the other time is exposition and just like, frodo hanging around with old bilbo in the in the shire for a little bit yeah it's it's interesting too because like i did a deep dive on the the animated versions of the hobbit and the lord of the rings and just like how troubled and messy the production of those kind of was so rankin and bass uh you know they're famous for all of their christmas specials 
they made The Hobbit in 1977. And then in 1978, a different company under United Artists made what they called The Lord of the Rings. Uh, so this is an entirely separate production that was meant to be a two-part uh, film. And so it's The Fellowship of the Ring in the first half of The Two Towers, and then they never made a sequel to it. So then in 1980, Rankin and Bass were just like, you know what, we're going to sort of make a sequel to that movie um, and made an unofficial sequel to The Hobbit and to the other Lord of the Rings movie uh, that was just The Return of the King. Um, so like even then, like just trying to get all these movies made and reaching the same scale as what was in Tolkien's brain was just incredibly challenging. Yeah, I think the original Lord of the Rings trilogy like i'm i don't have the same affinity for them as everyone else as a lot of people do i i, I have nothing bad to say about them i think they're incredible i just don't rewatch them as much as like everyone else does but i feel like they're kind of like one of the few unassailable just like achievements in the film of like recent of maybe since 2000 or maybe just like all time like it's just the amount of stuff they packed into it and like yeah like tolkien like had so much going on in his brain and he put in like so much detail in those books like it's just it is so incredible how they did that. And I think it's just kind of like the Hobbit really never had a chance. Like, even if like, like if you throw out the like production issues, like the, just, it was like trying to compare or like make something that would compare to those at all. It just, it wasn't going to work ever. And uh, I think that's also one of the last uh, triple productions. I don't think I've, I don't think there has been one since. Yeah. I can just think yeah, of, I think, Infinity, Infinity War and Endgame. But that's about it. And that's just two. Uh-huh. And it's it's also interesting because this was, uh, you know, Christopher Lee died uh, shortly after the last one was actually I think right before the last one was released. Um, and like you can definitely tell, like his scenes is just like him in a green screen in London while everybody else was on location. Because I mean, at that point he was like in his nineties. Um, so even like that kind of stuff just feels awkward. And there's a lot of CGI just around his face trying to de-age him since the Hobbit takes place 60 years before Lord of the Rings. And obviously as an older man, he's aged quite a bit since in between the other Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Yeah, it's just, it's just tough. Like <laughs> I feel for everyone who worked on those. Cause I can imagine just like how hard those are and how, like while well, the moving pieces, like it's tough, like blockbuster filmmaking is just really, really hard. And like the fact that those movies are like, like kind of make sense, like all things considered, I think is like sort of impressive on Peter Jackson's part. I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's so hard to, it's like lightning was never going to strike again. It's just, it's just tough. Yeah. Rip. Maybe, maybe someday <laughs> that Amazon will, will remake it since they have the rights to everything now. Well, yeah, they have that TV show coming, but um, yeah. So I guess this week, the one I really want to touch on is uh, the, new, the new movie. I think it just came out last week. It's called baby teeth. And it is, terrific um so it stars eliza scanlon who played beth in little women um i think she's definitely someone to watch out for she is such a good actress and she's really good in this movie um but this movie is it's a teen cancer dramedy and i know that sounds just like like you want to like puke when you hear that because there's been so many bad versions of that like you have like that five feet apart movie that came out remember that movie um, but like, there's just so many bad, like stupid maudlin tearjerker, like cancer movies with teens. And there's so many emotions in them. They're like, so when I heard them when this movie was coming out, I was like, eh, I don't really know, but I finally watched it and it is so, so great. It's probably one of the best versions of this. And I think mostly just because it's not 
like the super Hollywood version of this movie. So this movie was, it's an Australian movie and it's, it's incredibly Australian. <laughs> and it took me uh, like probably like half an hour to get on the movie's wavelength and get its sense of humor. Like it's just, it's very different from what you see if you're watching a lot of um, just romance movies like that come out of Hollywood and, and California. But it's, it's so terrific. And I don't really want to spoil a lot of this because the way this movie ends, it just hits you in the face like a bag of bricks. Like you just, you just start bawling at the end of it because it's so perfectly done. And it just earns every second. But um, Ben Mendelsohn is in this movie as the father to Eliza Scanlon's character. And Essie Davis from, I think most people know from The Babadook, is her mother. And they're so good together. And it's like one of the few non-villain like villain roles for Ben Mendelsohn. He's just a really terrific dad in it. And he's, I think he's, he has sporting a really good mustache, which is kind of fun. Um, but he is terrific and he has just some unbelievable moments towards the end of this movie. Um, this movie is just really quirky and silly. Um, and it's more, it's more about like getting the chance to do what you want to do before you die. And like, like the parents, like wrapping their heads around, like maybe this, what she's doing and the guy she's seeing, who's like a little older than her, it's probably not ideal for her, but we know that she doesn't have much time left. So like, we need to grapple with letting her live. Um, it's, it's, uh, just a really tremendous movie. I, I think it's available on just like everywhere you can like rent movies for like set like six, seven bucks. But um, it's, it's really terrific. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. It's definitely one I'm thinking about checking out here in the meantime. Yeah. It's I, Oh my gosh. The ending, like I was, I was watching, I was like, yeah, this movie's really sad. And like the last 15 minutes happens and you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm crying <laughs> so hard right now. <laughs> like you're like literally like, like you're in a glass case of, of emotion. Like you're the anchor man meme. Like it's, it, it really <laughs> kills. It really, really kills you at the end. So um, yeah, I, I really recommend it. It's worth the, all the money it is to rent for it. Yeah. So that's uh, what we've been watching this past week and we'll watch some more stuff this week. I will dredge through the remaining Hobbit movies uh, before they leave HBO max um, and we'll get into some more stuff. I'm sure Tenant will probably be delayed again since that seems to be a theme. And we'll be back next week. Uh, remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. Mm-hmm.